Good morning, church. My name is Ethan Hollis. Um, I am one of those young people that Pastor Noel mentioned in the video. Um, I'm a senior at SFA, and I've had the privilege of working here as a youth intern for a little over a year now. Um, and I'm just, I've just been incredibly thankful for this opportunity to learn to prepare sermons, learn to study the Bible with Pastor Noel and with the other young men. And uh, I'm looking forward to one day becoming some kind of minister. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that will be, but um, as we have been preparing this sermon, uh, I've been getting very excited to share with you what the Lord has been teaching me. And so let's go ahead and just jump in. First Corinthians, sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 5. We'll, we'll be in verses 1 through 9. Now as we're turning there, I want to mention to you that uh, this passage seems pretty simple at first, but we'll find that it has some surprising encouragement for us. That the Lord uh, uses our shortcomings and our, our weaknesses to be an encouragement for us. And so, you know, one thing that was convicted to me was that we often forget the true trajectory of our lives. We forget the true destination of where these lives are headed. We, uh, we get caught up in the mundane, you know, the day-to-day, -day, the, the daily grind. Everything just becomes uh, a repetitive thing, and we, we often forget what the true destination is. And so, well, in the midst of that mundaneness, or in the midst of that monotone lifestyle that sometimes we can get caught up in, well, we experience some suffering. We experience some hard things. And that's, you know, I don't need to go into any detail to convince you of that. But the thing is that if we remembered the trajectory, if we remembered what is to come, these sufferings, they wouldn't seem so pointless. They wouldn't seem so long. They wouldn't seem so... Our lives wouldn't seem so insecure or meaningless. And we can live with confidence. We can live with true meaning in our day-to-day -day lives. And the Apostle Paul lays it out for us. So let's jump into verse 1. He says, For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Now tent here refers to our earthly bodies. And think about a tent. What is a tent? Well, a tent is temporary. Usually most of us would probably stay in a tent for maybe a day, if you're bold, a couple days. But a tent, it's weak, it's fragile, it's temporary. They don't stay very long, and they don't protect us from very much. And we know that in these earthly bodies, we're subject to pain, we have lots of struggles, we're subject to sickness, and we're subject to, to death. Um, but then we see, there's a contrast in this verse, this earthly tent, and then there's a building from God, an eternal dwelling. So think about a tent compared to a, a building. Well, a building is permanent, a building is protective, a building is safe, and it's comfortable. And this house refers to a heavenly body, and it's the heavenly body that's mentioned in Philippians 3.21. He, Christ will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body 
by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Now that is the glorified body that we will have. When Christ died, he died in his, his earthly, temporary body. It passed away. When he rose again, he had a glorified body that was not made with hands. And that's the same phrase Paul says, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, it's not made with hands. That's an interesting phrase. The same, uh, the same phrase is found in Mark 14, 58, uh, where Jesus says, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. And not made by hands, we know that the body that will be given after this death, Paul says, if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a, a glorified body, a building from God. It's not made with hands. And since it's not made with hands, we know that it's, it's fit for heaven. It's made by God. And this, these earthly bodies are, are something different. So verse 2, he says, Indeed we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Now the Greek word for groan is stenazo. And it means it's a deeply emotional sigh, longing, or complaint. Uh, that's an interesting thing to say. We groan in this tent. I know I groan every morning, but yeah, uh, this is a, it's, it's a little bit different than that. In Mark 7.34, uh, we see Jesus, uh, the, the same word stenazo is used there, looking up to heaven, he sighed, that's the word, deeply, and said to him, be opened. Now in this situation, Jesus is healing a deaf man. We know that when Jesus heals people, he has deep compassion on them. And so this is an emotional moment for Jesus as he is experiencing these emotions for this deaf person who has never heard, Jesus heals him. And Jesus has this emotional cry out to God. And so that, that explains to us, you know, as I read this, do I groan in this tent in a way that is for heaven? And desire, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. So this is a positive groaning, looking forward to something. It's not so much of a complaint, but it's a, a longing for something. So, Paul is saying here that we deeply, emotionally complain with grief with a strong desire to have this heavenly body. Verse 3, since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Uh, now, naked here is an interesting thing. Um, naked could refer to a state of vulnerability. Um, and lots of people, lots of Bible scholars have said, this indicates that there's not an in-between state after our death. We, uh, when we die, our souls don't go somewhere else and our body stays here. But rather, when we are clothed with this heavenly dwelling, we won't be found naked. Uh, and that is, we won't be found vulnerable or susceptible to all these hardships and weaknesses that we experience here. Or, nakedness here could be an allusion to Genesis chapter 3. Let's look there. And he, Adam, said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, God, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, this nakedness, he realizes he's naked, and this is a, 
it's an awareness of our sin, and it's a sense of guilt and shame. Now, we still experience that. In our day-to-day lives, we sin, and our sin and our shame drive us away from God. Uh, And so what that means here, when we're clothed, we won't be found naked. We can look forward to being done away with our sins, the effects of our sins, the tears of our sins, and all the pain and suffering that it happens in this earthly world, those will be done away with. Now, we're clothed, we're protected uh, already. You know, when, when God looks at us, if you're a believer, God looks at you and he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness, the white robes of Jesus. So we already have that righteousness counted on our behalf because Christ lived a perfect life and he died for us. But we still deal with sin. We still have the guilt. We still have the knowledge of our sins. And so one day, that'll be done away with. Verse 4, Indeed, we groan while we're in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And again, he, he says we groan. He reaffirms the groaning, but this time it's for a different reason. He says, burdened as we are. And we have these burdens. This time, it's a a sort of negative groan. And so, we know these burdens. We've known illnesses. We've known sickness. We've known emotional burdens and difficulties in life. And we've known our weaknesses. And we've known death. And so Paul, I mean, he's just like us in that sense. He's just like us. He doesn't like those things. And it's okay. It's okay for us to, to long for something more where this sickness and death, these burdens will be done away with. We do not want to be unclothed, but clothed so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And that's an interesting phrase there as well, swallowed up by life. We're clothed when mortality is swallowed up by life. Uh, The Greek word there is used in some other places. In Hebrews 11.29, it's it's, uh, translated as drowned. Um, When the Egyptians attempted to cross the Red Sea, they were drowned or swallowed up. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. And so we think about mortality being drowned or devoured. Uh, Some people call it the death of death. When we are clothed with this heavenly body, the death. Jesus overcame death when he died and when he rose again. And so when we are called up into heaven, Jesus, we then get to experience that which Jesus experienced, this glorified being done with death. Now, let's look in um, Philippians 1, 21 through 23. Life is burdensome. We know that. And so the essence of this, Paul isn't just asking to die, but he looks almost in a way looks forward to it, sort of. He looks forward to being with God. And so let's just read this. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. It's okay for us to long for heaven and to look forward to that. Now, verse 5, Now, the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. We know what a down payment is. When you have a large, a large debt or price that you owe, you give a down payment. And, you know, the down payment, if someone gives it to you, then the payer 
The down payment is only worth as much as the payer is worth. God gives us a down payment. He's placed His Holy Spirit in us as a down payment. And God is dependable. God is faithful, and He will, he will fully renew us. So it's a promise. Scott Hafman says, This groaning is not a natural response to suffering and sin, but it's the supernatural gift of God. God prepares His people for the future by giving them a longing for it. So the Holy Spirit, as a down payment, it also causes us to groan, to long for heaven. Uh, and it's a proof of heaven because no unbeliever can groan for something more. To an unbeliever, there is no more after this. Warren Wearsby notes, in the modern Greek, the word translated earnest, or if you pay an earnest or down payment, it means engagement ring. So the church is engaged to Jesus Christ. And what is an engagement ring? Well, it symbolizes that same promise, that one day after the engagement period, the, the bride and the groom will be married. They'll be united. And so we have that as well to look forward to. Now let's look at verse 6. We are always confident to know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And he says, so, therefore, that, that could be like because of all these things, we're confident. And he says, we're at home in the body, away from the Lord. We've got to recognize this life for what it really is. This is not all there is. We're away from the Lord. Now, the Holy Spirit is with us, but we're not in God's holy presence. And some translations, the New King James and the ESV, combine verses 6 and 7, so we'll read those kind of together. We're always confident. We know that we're at home in the body and away from the Lord, comma, we walk by faith, not by sight. God and his affairs are not things that can always be seen. Um, and we've, we've got to walk in what we believe. And so uh, I had this illustration. I'll go through it quickly. Um, do you know what pole vaulting is? Pole vaulting is something, uh, it's very fun, but it's also terrifying. Um, I had the privilege to try to do it. I was never very successful. Uh, but when you, a pole vault is you have this, this long, thin pole, and you run up to the you know, a mat, and you stick it in the ground, you're running at full force, and then the pole bends, looks like it's about to break, and you're expected to just launch up over the bar. Now, if you operate by um, sight, you're not going to do pole vault, because it looks like it's going to break, or if it doesn't break, how do you know you're not going to be sent the wrong way? Um, I've seen that happen. It's, it's pretty scary. But if you can operate by faith in what your coach will say, um, you fully trust the thing that you put your faith in. So we know that. We know that having faith, walking by faith, is a prerequisite to, these in, to this encouragement that's in verse 6. Now, if you operate your earthly life here by the things that you see and believe or think, uh, it's a lot more difficult to have faith in God who is unseen. Um, so we need to operate by what is unseen, by what we believe. We've got to live our lives that way. John Butler, Bible commentator, puts it this way. He says, Doctrine and duty go hand in hand. Belief and behavior cannot be separated. Creed and conduct will agree. So let's go on to verse 8. In fact, we are confident we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
Now, the essence of this is, again, Philippians 1, 21 through 23. We'll look at it again. Now, if, uh, sorry, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do we prefer to be with God? Do we have a longing for heaven? And the conclusion, verse 9, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Wherever we are, the verdict of our lives is the same. We aim to please God. We've got to live for the Lord. And when we do, there is so much encouragement. So let's look at how this applies to us. Uh, we learn that God creates a longing for us, a longing in us for heaven through the Holy Spirit as a down payment for a, a glorified body. But we don't always have those desires. Um, so how do we find the ways to live with the encouragements and the hope that Paul had? Number one, we'll go quickly. We must embrace the truth that we are weak. Um, we can't hope in anything better if we think that, you know, oh, I've got everything together. I can operate this life as I want, and I can do everything that I want to do. Um, well, heaven is unfit for people who are self-confident or self-reliant. Um, there's, there's no faith, there's no relationship with God if all we're doing is everything on our own strength. We won't have a heavenly homesickness if we think we have everything we need or everything is good here. We see sickness, limitation, pain, depression, fear, temptations, and death. But heaven is homey. Heaven is comfortable. It's full of love and healing. Um, this is a tent. We've got to remember this, this is something temporary. The future is eternal to be with God. Number two, we must recognize that we lack what is needed for a victorious life. Uh, now, we know that we deal with sin all the time. And last week, we learned that uh, a, a believer, born again, hates their sin. And so, we know that God hates sin. I remember Pastor Noel's sermon on 1 Samuel 15, that Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord, and it was representative of God's hatred of sin and disobedience. And so, uh, here's a quote that I've, I found in a book, um, Wayne A. Mack. Think about Paul as he grew in his Christian life. Early on, he wrote, I am the least of the apostles. Later, he identified himself as the very least of all the saints. Then finally, toward the end of his life, he concluded, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. As we draw closer to God, we see the sin revealed in ourselves. We can hate that. It's okay to hate our sin and long to be done with it. We've got to recognize we lack the merit for heaven. If we know that we lack the merit for heaven, we can cherish Christ and Christ's work on the cross on our behalf. Jesus is our righteousness. Number three, we must invest in the things that count in heaven. Uh, Paul's conclusion in verse 9 is, Therefore, we aim to please God. Um, are we investing our lives, and our time, our efforts, our habits in our kingdom or in God's kingdom? For things that are temporary or for things that are eternal? Um, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, lay up our treasures in heaven. And so what do we do? Well, we can pray for a longing for heaven. Um, I've done that. And God will show us the understanding of his love and grace that we need so that we can live a life and truly long to be with God. Number two, commit to doing something regularly that has eternal value. 
pray, intercede for believers and unbelievers, um, share the gospel, serve in ministry. Number three, receive the hope that is in the gospel of Jesus who promises the forgiveness of our sins. If you're an unbeliever, there's hope in the work of Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on our behalf, and he died in gruesome death for us out of his great love. If we believe in him and repent, Holy Spirit can change our lives for eternity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for the hope that you've given us for something more. God, we just pray, Lord, creating us a longing to please you, Lord, a longing to live for you. And Father God, um, Lord, just help us to know the truth about you, that you're enough, and that, Lord, you're enough, enough for our weaknesses. In your name we pray. Amen.